Metal Nerd Podcast, and I'm your host, Joe Arnold, and today I have Santos Camacho with me. Hey, what's up? What's up, man? And uh, Santos is a former, the former singer of Chiva and This Fiend Kills, and he is the CEO of Earbanger. So That's what's right. up, Santos? What's happening? Not much, man. And we're going to talk about Corn, the first record. Yeah. Corn, corn. Corn, corn, dude. <laughs> that, that record changed things for a lot of us kids that were into, you know, Slayer, Metallica, and all that back in the day. Totally. I uh, I was a little bit of a latecomer, like I resisted at first, but we'll, we'll get it. We'll get into all that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Santos and I go way back um, playing in bands together, so I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. This is gonna be fun. Yeah, me too, man. I remember those Project One days and playing in front of hardly anybody and all of us to stand there. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> Working out the bugs for how many years, you know? Oh, I know. Um, but yeah, so real quick, I'm just going to go through the um, the album Fun Facts by way of, you know, Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. And uh, so it says, uh, so corn is the... Oh man, I should have looked this word up. Eponymous, eponymous debut studio album by American new metal band Corn. It was released on October eleventh, nineteen ninety four, through Immortal Epic Records. I know them very well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We were uh, we had a, a demo deal with them, uh, and the management at the time blew it because she was asking for too much. We had a twenty five thousand dollar deal with them, and a demo deal. And she was asking for demanding fifty thousand, saying that we couldn't do it for less, and we lost it. We were working no with, uh, yeah, we were working with Eric Jarvie. He was an A&R rep who actually signed Real Big Fish, She Mortal, back in the day. Yeah, and, um, yeah, it was a uh, one of our first tragic stories. <laughs> oh my god, man! And yeah. what what year was that? Uh, ninety five. Oh no, shit! Yeah, ninety five, ninety six. Um, yeah, they, we were we were stoked because uh, you know we were gonna be label mates with like the Urge back then, and uh, I think it was Orange Nine Millimeter maybe and uh, Incubus. Oh wow! Yeah, we were. I think I was more excited about being label mates with Incubus than I was Corn at the time. Believe it or not. Oh really? Yeah, because I was a huge fan of um, Faith No More, and yeah, and Boyd would seem like a like a a different version of what Mike Patton was doing, you know, and it was really cool and pretty unique at the time yeah you're right totally so especially their their early stuff huh immortal i haven't heard that word in a long time <laughs> yeah that's crazy does that even exist anymore i don't believe it it does i remember they were signing a ton of people at one point and then i think they just defaulted from spending so much money from the money they made off of corn man but yeah so uh let's see before recording the album, the band was approached uh, by Immortal Epic after a performance at Huntington Beach, California. I love that. Uh, I'm guessing because I did a little bit of research. Maybe it was at this place called uh, Club 5902. I remember that. Yeah. You do? Yeah, I wasn't old enough to get in, but I remember going there. Um, back in the day when I was the the drummer to what people now know as Cold Chamber. Uh, the Emerald- You were? Yeah. I was... <laughs> I was I was the drummer when we were. How called- do I not know this? Uh, maybe, maybe I did know it. I forgot. Sorry. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah. Basically, we were called "She's in Pain," and it was Miguel 
Pascon from uh, Cold Chamber, the guitar player, and Dez, the yeah. singer of Cold Chamber. And um, oh shit, yeah, dude, we were in a band and we were playing pretty much what you hear Cold Chamber. It was pretty much that, um, but uh, I wasn't nearly as good as I should have been. I was still, still, my heart was still set on this, like you know, this white zombie Metallica kick, and I couldn't shake the drumming, you know. Oh, okay. They wanted some type of. They wanted like what you hear now with Mikey playing drums, and um, okay, that's what it turned into. But it was a. Uh, it's funny. I had I had this tape that we recorded at public recording, in uh, I think it was the harbor or somewhere out there, and hmm. um, it was a it was it was funny to hear it. It was so. Mahabra. I think it was called yeah. I think it was the harbor um, where, where we did uh, where public recording was. It's one of the the studios that. That uh, advertised Mean Street magazine all the time. Oh, okay, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, so like four songs for two ninety five or three ninety five, you know, and and uh, it was we recorded on two inch tape and everything, so it was a trip. What yeah. like um, was it an actual studio? It was our actual recording studio. Yeah. Okay. It was a warehouse, we... you know, like warehouse, you know, a business space, I guess you could say. And, okay. You know, it was about twenty to thirty feet in width, and then it went all the way back. And it had like two or three rooms, you know, one main control room, a vocal booth, and some other like guitar booth, you know, like a booth for guitars. Wow, that's rad. Yeah. Now, I was just wondering because the first thing we ever did um, was, I think it was in La Habra or in that area, maybe La Mirada or something like that. But I was wondering because it's very, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, it was. it sounds like it's a different place though because ours was like basically like this back room of this dude's house. So that's what oh, I was right. asking. <laughs> yeah, we did one of those too. We did a, I think it was love juice recording in Riverside. It was at some guy's house, man. It was like, a, you know, that sounds a, familiar. Dirt, it was dirty beat up out home dude. And he was pumping out like two or three bands at a time. It, you know, he had different rooms. He had a, he had a full system going and we actually, the, the demo that we did at love juice, Helped us get signed to um, em- Embryo Records, believe it or not. And uh, oh wow, yeah, he did a really good job on it. It's it really, really like poor quality, but it was mixed really well. And uh, I think it captured the uh, you know the energy we were trying to you know pump out. And uh, was I, this Chiva? Yeah, it's Chiva. It was oh, Chiva. nice. Yeah, and it was, it was a trip. Like uh, I think we recorded probably like two or three different people's homes that were advertising in like mean street or recycler you know um yeah magazine and uh i don't magazine at the, the mean street magazine and the recycler you know whatever that thing's called now but yeah we uh to, no joke chiva recorded probably at least 15 to 25 pl- different studios <laughs> every time we wrote four songs we went and recorded them you know that was that was our little thing you know to see how good or bad the song was and okay we everything we could literally and and uh go pay for to go rush a demo out really quick every single time so that's awesome that's actually that's a great way to just cut your teeth and just do it yeah we got a lot of experience everyone in that band like recorded more than their fair share multiple times yeah and it was i feel like back then it was hard to find like uh somewhere that you know was you could get a good recording quality you know yeah it really was man like um it was one thing or another it was like the studio had good equipment, uh, but their engineers didn't know what they were doing. Right. And they right, were right. blowing things out so quick. You yeah. couldn't really get like, 
album quality by any means unless you spent, you know, a ton of money. You know, I think also, I think that the first head demo uh, or, or the Church of Reality, yeah. I think it was recorded at public recording. Oh, wow. Okay. Don't quote me that, but I'm, I'm almost positive it was because, um, like I said, they were, they had like an album deal where like if you could do like 10 songs and they would do it, they would charge you like $19.95, to, to, to get like, you know, 40 oh, or 80 hours of recording or something like that. Oh, wow. What about, um, for the record, did you ever, in Orange? Um, did you ever record there? I remember hearing about it. I remember talking to somebody from there, but I'm not sure if we did or not. We, we tracked something, uh, with, um, project one there. And, uh, I mean, just off piggybacking off of what you said about like, it was a really nice studio and overall they did a pretty good job, but like we totally rushed the vocals. Like you said, just in and out. Yeah. I think I did the whole, it was like maybe like a five song EP, but I did the whole thing in probably like four, five hours, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, I always like look back and it's not terrible, but it's like, you're just one of those things where it's like, oh my God, we just rushed right through the vocals. You know? That's just, that's the story of Shiva's history, dude. Like, right. I would run through this, the vocals, no joke, probably like in two hours, dude, like two to four hours. Right. Just blow my throat out, you know, and scream yeah. as far as I could to get the most gritty, grindiest, you know, um, sound I could get because I didn't know what I was doing back then. Um, right. And yeah, I just remember going like, you know, doing it and the, the engineer's like, okay, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you go back and listen to him, man, and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> the timing is off a tad, you know, the, the screams yeah. aren't fully, you know, like the, there's cracking in the screams that just didn't, you know, weren't pleasant to listen to. And, uh, it was a trip, man. Like I just understand, I don't understand how they got away with it for so long. I know. I know. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those things that was tough though. Cause like you're, you're pay- the band's paying by the hour. So you kind of like don't want to argue too much cause it's just going to take longer. So it's like, yeah. you're, you're just in this like, kind of shitty position basically totally all we wanted was a a record that we could be proud of and to to, we wouldn't be embarrassed to show people you know what i mean right and we had so many of those that were just like trash (laughs) (laughs) we we get home and we're like dude what the hell happened we just wasted another five hundred dollars you know (laughs) more songs you know oh my god we learned a lot but we we took a lot of chances, like you know, we invested oh, totally. so much money into the band, um, you know, <laughs> so much. It's, like, <laughs> it's just a big pit, man. It is. It is the ultimate money pit when you're coming up as a, you know, at least in our day and age. Now it's like, you know, you get any any recording software and sample everything, and it comes out, you know, half decent. Yeah, it was so much different back then, but, um. All right. Well, let's see. Let's see. The recording took place from May to June, 1994. I <laughs> love that in and out, man. <laughs> um, after the recordings, Corn toured with Biohazard and House of Pain. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I saw Corn. I've seen Corn probably over 80 times, dude. Oh my god, no, really? No joke. That's like I'm up there. I've I've seen the Deftones more now, but Corn, uh, yeah. no joke. I it, they played every two weeks back in the day, dude. And then, uh, so they played everywhere. Like you can think of, I, I saw them like in like makeshift clubs that were like warehouses, like small warehouses. And they charged people to get in $5 to get in and, and they played dude. And, uh, 
they were literally, literally the most unique band I'd ever experienced up until like, um, actually the Deftones, you know, and I wow. saw them play at the ice house in Fullerton with like malfunction. Uh, I think that's all I remember. It was like, it was malfunction, Deftones, corn. And I think one other band, but I can't remember exactly who it was, but that was like, uh, there was hardly anyone there, you know? Wow. Yeah. I remember where, like, where was the, uh, where was the ice house in Fullerton? But like like downtown or um, um I think it's like I, I remember being by by like a, a railroad station, but it's, uh, the ice house is called is, it was known for comedy like a comedy joint. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and um, they played, and I I remember this specifically like um, Jonathan Davis was wearing a Napalm Death shirt. No way. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, what the hell? How did you know the sound that you're getting out of corn come from Napalm Death? You know, like even yeah. influenced by it, you know. And uh, yeah, that was a trip, you know, and uh, and that was one of the many, 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 many times I saw them. And I have a couple of corn stories, you know, with Jonathan Davis as well. Oh. Yeah, like um, they played um, a show at the Seaport Museum in Long Beach. And it was like, it was upstairs. And you can imagine like, you know, you know, when corn came out, dude, you know, everyone's wearing Adidas and people were just going nuts, man. They, they were yeah. so unique and their energy was so different. And, you know, the, uh, you know, they played blind, they'd open up with blind. And yeah. in the, when that, when the guitar, when the drums kick in, dude, this place felt like you were going to fall through the roof. No way. There was like probably 1500 people jumping at one time. And I literally, oh, shit. Like the, uh, <laughs> the ceiling was going to collapse. And, oh my uh, God. Yeah. It's, uh, they played with bitch funky sex machine. Do you remember those guys? No, I don't think so. No. And then um Human Waste Project? Yeah. Remember them? Amy Echo. I mean, yeah, the name rings a bell and and I was just reading something about them. I think um they may have recorded also at um Indigo. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Indigo Branch Studios. My um But I do remember that name. Yeah, Human Waste Project. Uh, the the girl kind of sounded the singer she was female. Her name is Amy Echo, I think, and she kind of sounded like, like the metal version of like Gwen Stefani without the the uh, the, the vibrato. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's it's actually the record they did with Ross Robinson was really good. And, really. Uh, yeah, it's really like it, it has a full corn vibe to it, you know. But it's a uh, because it's it sounds like you know the, the way Ross records is so unique. And, yeah. Yeah, dude, it's so so many little ties, dude. Like uh, the girl I was dating in high school, her uncle was uh, part owner to Indigo Ranch. Oh wow, no kidding. Yeah, and then he died, and something happened. They had to sell it off to somebody else or the other. His Do you know his name? I don't. I was I was doing some research on that. I just wonder. I I kind of read through quickly, so I wasn't like paying attention to all the names. But her last name was Kraus. So I mean, Kraus. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, but it could have been on the mom's side. And I don't know the mom's last name, but right, right, I yeah. Super stoked about that. I was like, dude. <laughs> right. Yeah. So when did you? When was the first time you saw Corn? Like, what? Do you remember what year? Uh, it was '95 for sure. Okay, so they were already like it was after this album came out. Yeah, you know it's funny that I found out about Corn because of KNAC, dude. I remember hearing Flying for the oh. first time on KNAC and you know right after oh, Corn wow. debuted it KNAC pretty much went off the air but yeah, yeah yeah it was so it was so different dude and I'd never you know back in the day we used to sit at in you know if we were driving it was we had KNAC on 
you know, yeah, being in sure. Orange County, dude, it came in really, uh, really fuzzy, yeah. and dirty, and static. It was never a good connection. Yeah, um, at home, when you could throw a little dry cleaner hanger up on the <laughs> on the wall, you know, it super clear, dude. <laughs> so, That's so crazy. Yeah, were you? Um, and you were you grew up in South Orange County, right? Yeah, I've been there my whole life. Okay. Oh yeah, so it must have been real rough down there. I would imagine. Yeah. I grew up in, you know, like closer to Long Beach, you know, so I was, I was closer to the signal. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it was like really, really bad. But, uh, at home I said, like you throw that little dry, you know, a little aluminum or metal dry cleaner. That's so rad. To connect to the radio, dude, you get, can you see really clear? And that was like, literally as a little kid, you know, listen to metal. I was the only station we had uh, minus pirate radio. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Pirate Radio seemed like all they played was, like, Guns N' Roses. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. That's it. come up so much on this podcast because so many of my friends, you know, like, we all discovered bands that way. KDC yeah. was, like, amazing. It really was, dude. That's, like, I remember, like, hear, you know, hearing the intro, to the the blind, and going, what the heck, dude? And when it kicked in, I it reminded me, like, a heavy version, heavier version of Helmet. With the mm, yeah, with I can see vocal, that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like vocals, but like with what? Better vocals, I guess you could say. Okay. And I'm yeah. not I'm not dissing Page by any means, but it's like um, the vocals were so different that you were like peeled to your ears were peeled to the speakers because you're like, dude, what is going on? What is this? You yeah. know. And, and I remember after hearing it, calling KAC up, trying to call them like you know, 30, 40 times in a row to find out who that was. Wow. Yeah, and you couldn't even find the record at, at Tower Records for a long time, literally. And I, Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, and I'd go in there all the time and, and ask for it over and over again. You guys going to get it? You guys going to get it? And they're like, what, what's corn? <laughs> you know? And Yeah. Uh, but I remember that was my first experience um, was hearing it on KNC. And it literally, like, my life changed, dude. No joke. And, you know, I had this, you know this, you know, teenage angst, you know, and this guy yeah, yeah. sounded like how I felt. Yeah. Kind of connected so, so much to him. I mean, not, not, not necessarily the content of what he was saying, but I could feel everything he was, you know, singing and screaming about, you know, and I could, mm-hmm. feel, you know, and I was like, dude. And so I just felt like we were friends. <laughs> That's crazy. Was yeah. Like, you know, I felt bad for him and yet I cared about him and loved him just from, just from the music alone, you know? I had such a different, like, um, I guess, response, like, uh, in the, you know, immediately, like, I had friends, you know, that um, told me about it, and then eventually I got the, uh, I borrowed, like, a tape, I'm pretty sure, from my buddy, and it was probably, I'm guessing, probably, like, 95, maybe, Mm -hmm. and, like, um, it was, like, I wasn't ready for it, I was, like, because I was, like, totally, I mean, I still am, but I was, like, all in on, like, old school metal like you know um metallica iron maiden you know megadeth all that kind of stuff yeah and i just like so my i was kind of like i said i i earlier i just um i kind of resisted it but um i just wasn't yeah i wasn't ready for it it took me probably um i mean i think when i i mean i i'm trying i was trying to i was thinking about that today like did i get into this album first or I definitely was all in like everybody else on uh, Follow the Leader. Oh, really? That's but when I that's, was. That's when I was, a lot later. That was, yeah, that, I was actually on my way out. Oh, no way. 
Yeah. I was yeah. so intrigued by, you know, the blind, you know, the corn record and then life is peachy. I was just like, dude, how much better can they get? You know, and I know right. they're kind of, no, they're not fans of life is peachy, but I was in the Navy at the time and I would listen to that was oh, wow. one tape that I had that uh, I would listen to, uh, you know, on auto reverse all night long, you know, and, uh, and I just remember being, I would listen to every little detail of that record, man. And I would just, cause I had nothing else to do at night. And, uh, yeah. And I just remember just listening to everything, dude. And I loved it. I was just like, I was like, how much better can it get? And then when uh, All the Leader came out, I was so bummed. I was like, because it, it, it was polished. It went from like something that you were like, yeah. you know, you just felt like like you were really a, polished. Yeah. You were like equals with them at one time. Because, you know, we were, you know, we were playing music and we, we felt like we were like right there along with them, you know. And they went from like being dirty and gritty to just completely polished and uh, being blown away by the recording quality, you know. But uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I was just like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. The songs on that record were great, but I was just, I for some reason, I just, I detached myself from that, and it wasn't really the fame because I, I was diehard, dude. I had, you know, I owned like, like ten different corn shirts at that time. You know what I mean? I was, I, that's what yeah. I wore every day, and. um and I was proud. It was kind of like a, like a badge, you know what I mean? Like my shirts were my, you know, how much my commitment was to that band. And uh, yeah, dude, it was such a trip to go from Life is Peachy to Follow the Leader. And I was so bummed out. No way. Yeah. And so you, were, so you were out? Yeah, I was I was on my way out. I was like, I was holding on to Dear Life with them, dude. And I just kind of lost interest. And I just was like, you know. Um, that I had that must. <laughs> you know? I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. What no, was no. that? I had the Deftones in the that. You know, oh I, yeah. Yeah, I, and I couldn't get tired of that. And that, even to this day, my favorite record is Adrenaline, and people think that's the worst because of the way it sounds. But it was. I remember seeing them playing at the Ice House with Corn, and it was, it was that band yeah. blew me away like you wouldn't believe, dude. And you you said like there was barely anybody at that show. There wasn't even a hundred people there. Wow. And the place fit probably. Three, three to four hundred legally, probably. I ended up buying Man. a tape, the two, the two song demo from the Deftones that night, and uh, I wore that thing out. <laughs> I was just wow. so blown away, dude. Like literally, it was like the two bands. I think that, and, and this is gonna sound bad, but the three, I've only been blown away by three bands my entire life. One okay. was Warren, one was the Deftones, and uh, believe it or not, one was Papa Roach. And okay. yeah, with they came out swinging so hard, dude. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's not embarrassing by any means, but anyway, but it was one of those things I was so taken back by this band that just like, you know, it was, they played at the chain reaction with Taproot. And oh, Taproot yeah. And all the, the rage, dude, because, you know, Fred Durst was working with them. Oh, okay. And uh, they, they sounded so bad, but I ended up liking them too. But Papa Roach came out, dude, and they, I, I felt like we were about to get in a fight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these guys are just, they came out like aggressive, like no band has ever come out, dude. You know what I mean? And like, wow. yeah, it, it reminded me of like, um, you know, like the punk rock scene back when I was a kid, dude. Like I was friends yeah. with a guitar player to, to this band called DI. It's scary mm-hmm. even covered one of their songs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and DI, dude, the, 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 the shows were so violent, dude. You know what I mean? Like it was just it was. Where, where was it? Where were those at? They were literally at every Mexican restaurant that would take them. 
<laughs> oh my god no joke, dude like they'd play anywhere and everywhere and these places were like literally like the the club promoter or the promoter would rent out some type of venue of some sort you know like a like a like uh where they throw quinceaneras dude you know and um yeah yeah and these guys they played in, in you know like gutter mouth opened up and some the offspring opened up and like just before they were no you know before they were even known and they were so violent dude like the crowd was just killing each other and dude punk and hardcore shows were much more violent i feel i felt like yeah i agree i agree man and <laughs> dude i remember and then i mean in here to hear here Papa Roach comes out, that same it was like they were the violent crowd but performing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Me, and I was like, and I had, you know, zero interest at the time, but I was just so blown away by how 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 hard they brought it. And I was like, Wow. And they they just they sold me that night, you know, and in chain reactions always never it's never sounded good for me. Like I've never been to any shows that sounded like, whoa, that was a great selling show. Oh really? Yeah, I've never I've never been impressed once. And it's always been like, oh damn, they sound like ass. <laughs> you know? I've seen I've seen uh that's that was how I felt in the early days and then I I don't know if they pulled it together, but I saw a few good shows there that sounded pretty good. Oh really? Yeah, the uh those were some good times, but yeah, that's one of my guilty pleasures is the, the is the Papa Roach because of that that one night, dude, it just they were that nobody has ever done that, you know, like brought it that way and that that aggressive. Huh. It's so genuine, dude. They were so hungry. And yeah. Yeah, it was a trip, and that's that, that's my Papa Roach story. <laughs> that's rad, dude. I've I've never seen them. Yeah, um I I mean I've seen them since, but they it's they it's nothing like what it was. Yeah, they yeah. Were like they had something to prove, man. Like we're, you know, they were competing with the Deftones from, you know, being up and, you know, being up in Sacramento and whatnot. Oh, right, right. They were, they were friends, you know, because I talked to the guys and um, and they talked with the Deftones back then too, and they just like they they had such a higher, you know, the bar was set so high with the Deftones in their eyes that they had to compete and they had to outdo them, you know, what I mean, and you could feel it. You know, yeah. even they weren't playing with them, but they like, dude, they they had that that was the bar, and they had the to, to to meet that standard, and it was really like one of those nights that I'll never forget. I'm curious, like, um, what was the local scene like, um, when that like in terms of like the new metal kind of like the bands that were kind of hip to you know all these band corn and Deftones and like locally in Orange County, what was that? Looking Every like. band sounded like corn, dude. No joke. <laughs> it was like another version of corn. Like there was bands that just that that blatantly blatantly just ripped them off to the T. Yeah, like seven strings, yeah. like riffs that you could hear corn playing. Yeah, and from singers crying on stage and you know, <laughs> singing yeah. their style, it, you know, wearing Adidas, you know, like the it was it was a trip, dude. But um. Those bands didn't last very long. It was really, you know, they they pop up and they turned into something else. Yeah. Um, but it was really weird. Every bill we were on, there was one or two corn bands. Yeah. You know, and um, it was a trip because some of them were good. You're like, whoa. And then, you know, and some of the other ones were just, you know, uh, you'd be like, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And where were you guys playing at that time? Um, We played. Like in, in Orange County, you know. In Orange County. Well, we were. Most of it was like 
Hey guys, this is Joe cutting in real quick. I just wanted to um, ask you guys if you could share the show if you're digging it. Uh, right now, that's the best way to help out the show. Um, so, you know, send a text to a friend or or uh, uh, share it through social media. However, you uh, you usually do that. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, we're also on Instagram at the Metal Nerd Podcast. Uh, and so you can go on there and comment and uh, give us some feedback. So we'd love to hear from you and thank you guys again. And now back to the show. Oh, we played like that play, uh, place called, um, the, sh- oh, the shack. Remember the shack in Anaheim? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We play most of the corn bands we played, we played there. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Where else we played? I mean, like I said, I played there too. I remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. There, there was a place called checks. And that was off of Santa Fe Springs, right by the um to drive in. Oh, okay. No, I don't know. I don't remember that. Place. Yeah, and you know, it's little dive places. Um, my memory's failing me a little bit right now. But we, we obviously, I we remember had- seeing you guys uh at the uh, showcase theater. Yeah, we played there literally over a hundred times. Oh my god, really? No joke. It, 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 we played there sometimes three or four times in a month. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, they, yeah, they would invite us out to play all the time. Like, um, well, I was telling my wife, like, I remember seeing you guys one time and it was like pretty much close to packed, you know, and it was, as far as I remember, it was just like local Orange County bands. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Would, I would put these shows together of bands that could at least draw like 20 heads, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, we would have like these, uh, these, you know, these, you know, what do you call them? The keg, the bus, the buses, we'd get like. Oh yeah. The keg bus. Throw kegs on there. Yeah. And, um, so we got a lot of people to go to the shows, you know, and charge them like twenty dollars to go, you know, to pay for the beer and the, because uh, those buses were expensive, man. They weren't cheap. They were like six hundred dollars every time just to go from showcase. Yeah, I remember back. Tony did that a lot too. Yeah, Tony from uh, yeah King. King, yeah. I remember back in the Steel Remain days, you know. Yeah. We did a show with them, I think, out somewhere, and they brought a bus, and they also brought a bus to from, you know, Los Angeles to the Gypsy Lounge. Yes. That was yes. <laughs> Their crowd was rowdy, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were fun shows, man. Yeah, they really were, man. Like you threw alcohol, on, you know, and underage kids, man. <laughs> Turned into a party, you know. <laughs> These kids would just go crazy, dude. And uh, but yeah, I mean, we played a hell of a lot, you know, a hell of a lot of shows at Showcase Theater. Um, I know there's another venue, and it's not. It's slipping my mind, dude. That we used to always play at. Other than the Gypsy Lounge, but um, yeah, but there's there's a couple places that were like that that are shut down now that we used to play all the time, like in Huntington. Uh, Huntington. Yeah. Um, there was like two or two or three places that we used to play at, uh, you know, once every two or three months, and but I can't remember the names. Well, there was Liquid Den was one. Uh, that we played there, and then there's another the one. Um, oh, uh, but okay, so like right by the four hundred five, there's uh, you know, the Bella Terra. It's uh. Um. Oh shoot! What was that called? Liquid? No, Liquid Lounge? No, no. Rhino Room. Was Rhino Room one? I'm not sure. It's failing me. I don't know why my my memory's failing me at that. But I mean, literally yeah. everywhere. The Tiki Bar we played. There was another place oh, yeah. that was down the down um Beach Boulevard, on the right hand mm-hmm. side. If you're going towards the ocean. Oh, oh, um, uh, like, um, Sunset Beach, like, like, further north from, like, in Huntington, but 
like north of the pier. Yeah. Was it that one? I think so. Yeah, that changed names so many times, man. Yeah. I think we played with you guys there, I think. Like um it, at the end it was called Blue Cafe, but it, it was like Cosmos at one time and Yeah, I, I know. It, it changed names it so many times. times. But like the uh I remember playing with Needlemouth there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh that was a trip. That was a good joke. I remember just, like, that place was cool. If if we're thinking of the same place, it was basically PCH and Warner. Yeah, I think so. Like right by the wetlands, wetlands. Yeah, I mean, that was back in the day, dude. There's so many places but they all they all like, you know, bands couldn't draw, so they would not they would stop doing those shows, you know, and because they didn't want to invest money into a PA because right. all the bands kept breaking crap, you know, and nothing was really built to last. Mm. I know it's crazy. You know, people were around for since 1992 or 93 and uh we went as hard as we could until like until i left the band in 2005 so chiva started in that that early yeah 1992 oh wow shit so you were playing drums before that with uh i was was in a band called goathead with hector and um I started like there got to a point in time where like I was writing different music and I play guitar and I started playing with Andy on drums and a friend of ours named Jason Brimmer on guitar. And we were, we all the song, all the rejects from Goathead, I would take to, uh, to Chiva and I'd play the songs I wanted to play with, you know, with with Chiva. And Mm. uh, that's how it came about. Such a, like a unique time, man. Like, when you think about it, it was, yeah. there was, you know, for Hollywood, there was, you know, the, the sunset days. In order yeah. to me, it was just like, you were either a punk rock band, and there were, then Corn came out, and there were, everybody wanted to be Corn, <laughs> you know? Right. There was right, no right. Between, and it was, uh, and, you know, it was such a trip, dude. And like, I uh, didn't know, I, did, I knew we didn't want to be Corn by any means, you know, because we were doing stuff like, like, um, as dumb as it sounds, it was like we were doing rap metal back in 1992. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was just basically like, it was, you know, and it was, you guys were ahead of the curve, man. Well, we were influenced by like anthrax. You know what I mean? Like we were doing, oh, right, like, right. Like, uh, bring the noise. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, that's the, one of the coolest concepts ever back then. You know what I mean? And so, oh, like, hell yeah, dude. But that's literally what drove us. And then, and, you know, we were doing it and it was, you know, wasn't good, <laughs> but we were doing it, you know? And then, uh, it was basically then, then, um, I think who was it? Oh, Rage Against the Machine came out yeah. and we were on Lollapalooza and they just did it r- really, really well. Yeah. And there, there was this one band, um, at Irvine that must've known Rage Against the Machine before they were really big, you know, they were even known, they were called Caged, C-A-G-E-D. Huh. And um, they were rap metal, dude. Like it was really weird. It was like, but they were like NWA with metal guitars, you know. Oh wow! Yeah, oh it, that's cool. Yeah, so it was kind of like I heard that, and I'm like, I'm not gangster, dude. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I, I liked I liked the vibe that they were coming, with, but it was way too hip hop. You know what I mean? It was like, um, it was way too rap. And I was like, you know, I I, I loved you know. You know, I love Sepultura, I love Slayer, I loved um yeah. SOD, you know, what I mean I yeah. I just love that. And I was like, I want to incorporate all that stuff, you know, and 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 say what I wanted to say as a you know, angry little kid. And yeah. it literally it was 
so many other people did it so much better. That's the thing that with us, so we were behind the curve because we weren't as good as everybody else. You know what I mean? We didn't have the talent at the time to, uh, to really make a difference. You know, you know, we played a did little, you, at hundred, we, the Chiva played hundreds of shows, dude, in our, in yeah, our yeah. band, you know, and unfortunately we spent, you know, like three to five years being a shitty band. <laughs> and people, so we didn't make a name for it. Everybody does, though. Yeah, it just took us a little bit longer to, to really get uh, to really understand what we needed to do to get good. You know. Yeah. Did you guys? Was there? Um, uh, was Head PE in your world at all? Um, they weren't. When... They weren't. Not until later. Okay. Um, the... The, I mean, you're just thinking of other like Orange County bands that kind of made good after you know Corn. Yeah. Up, you know. Um, I think we played a place. We played. I think it was Malone's, but I don't know if it was Mal- what Malone's was called before it was Malone's. It was well when I was. Gosh, I mean, this would have been, I guess, ninety-seven. I uh, it was Malone's. Yeah, <laughs> like we, was Malone's we played there when it was like tiny. Remember? Yeah, I remember, like the side strip of uh, the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it seems like it was like a quarter of what it is now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, uh, I remember we played an all-day show. Because they would just, you know, turn to bands there, and Head P was one of the uh, the headliners, and uh, but we played like at two o'clock in the day, and they oh, okay. we weren't even old enough to stay inside the club. We had to yeah go yeah we weren't either. <laughs> so um, uh, what okay? What are your highlights from this album? I'm curious. Uh, the highlights really I the 808 dude hearing the 808 for the first time in metal or rock you know yeah i never heard it dude and that was one of the highlights i was like dude like on blind or on uh what is it the the record Uh, yeah i think it was need to and um and blind but blind yeah yeah i just it was one of those things man it was like you go from listening to metallica and slayer you know nuclear assault and whatnot in in megadeth and to that to hearing you know the the energy that was captured that ross is known for Mm-hmm. He captures performances, and and I just remember like feeling like I was in the room with them, and um, yeah, and hearing like the pain coming out of like Jonathan Davis's you know mouth, and um, it was so different, dude. It was literally like like my world. I, as as drastic as it sounds, my 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 musical world changed. Yeah, and I was like, how do you capture that? How do you capture that? Why you know I was so used to like what would sound like angry music. The, from angry music to you know emotional painful music you know what i mean and that just yeah. resonated with me and um hearing him like cry at the end of the um the record and whatnot was just like so haunting and uh i th- yeah i think the thing that i was trying i was thinking about this too when I, I was listening back is um i feel like the the thrash bands and all that stuff they were almost like um I'm trying to think of the word like pontificating about the world and, and like almost like theorizing. They were almost like like academic about the world. And then you got corn comes along and it's like it's so personal. Yeah, it definitely so was. individual and so personal. And it was just so that was so different. Yeah, it really was. And like the guitar sounds too, man. Like how it's just like you know, it, I was a fan of helmet already. And yeah, it felt like yeah, I wanted to talk about helmet, that. Yeah, yeah, they just come it to a new level, dude. And I was just like, you know, and that whole mixture of everything was just so it came out so unique. 
in such so it, it, it had a huge impact that were you know they end up selling millions and millions of records because I guess there was a millions of kids that felt the same way I felt you know listening to it you know and yeah I remember reading an article a long 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 time ago about kids were dying and they wanted to be buried with their corn shirt on oh wow and I'm like dude imagine that dude imagine being so in love and feeling like you you're you were so connected to a, a music group where it wasn't just like you know you can I don't I can't see people oh you know bury me bury me bury me with my uh you know my my anthrax t-shirt on you know yeah <laughs> you know they were te- I, you know they were storytellers but you know and corn comes along right this really dry tight sounding recording comes out dude and yeah I had never heard anything like that I had never heard anything sound so dry you right know? right. Um, you know, I was a fan of Danzig and those drums, you know, on the first Danzig record were dry, but not as yeah. dry as <laughs> the, the corn record. Was right. That, that I think that was the difference because I was listening to like all three, the first three corn records today, actually. And um, I, I was trying to put my finger on what sounds so different between uh, Follow the Leader and like really the first two, but especially the first one. And um. And it, yeah, that's what it is. Like the drums are just so dry. Like the snare drum has yeah. so much like that room kind of reverb, you know, and even yeah. probably a little bit of a, an effect reverb on uh, Follow the Leader. Yeah, there's but everything that's so dry. Yeah, and, so dry um, on the record. That's the one thing I didn't like about it. You know what I mean? It's, I'd never heard a snare drum sound so horrible, and I love the music so much. You know, but we, did it sound horrible though? In my opinion, it did. As as someone who worked in like, I, I used to work on, on the first. The first yeah. album, right? Yeah, the first record. Okay. I yeah. love everything about it except the snare. The snare would bother me so much, dude. And um, I used to be an intern um, at, at recording studios. That's where I got the, the bug of recording all the time. Okay. Um, I used to, it was, there was a recording studio in uh, Westminster called Front, Frontline Recording Studios. It was a really yeah. Oh. It was a Christian label recording studio for Frontline Records. Is it on on Garden Grove or wait? Because I I grew up in Westminster. Yeah, so it's like Garden Grove, Westminster, that area. I mean, you know, I, I drive there from Mission Viejo, you know, every day after school for you know I would say for like almost two years, and wow. I worked with so many different mu- musicians, dude, from like the drummer to Kiss to the guys in Badlands and all these old eighties rockers, dude. I you know, yeah, and it was a beautiful studio, dude. It was huge. It was you know it was huge compared to every recording studio you had to pay to get into. You know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah, like I became a stickler for drums, sounds, you know what I mean? And yeah, when you go to a studio and you hear the, what they're producing, like these real producers come in there and they would make the drum sound it's phenomenal, just amazing. And, like, and then you go listen to the corn record, you're like, what the hell happened? Mm. <laughs> and so I wasn't like, um, I wasn't a fan of the snare drum, but everything else, like I could look past it most of the time. <laughs> and, but it's hard, you know, but I was like, you know, I started focusing on just the vocals. You know what I mean? And, I, and I, yeah. as a drummer, I would listen to just drums 99% of the time. Yeah. But, you know, my focus was trying to learn everything I heard. And uh, in this this is one of the few bands where I was, like, listening to the vocals. I could not believe what was coming out of what I was hearing. You know? Yeah, yeah. It felt so real and so genuine. And... uh 
I felt like, you know, listening to that band, you like you start feeling like you had those problems. <laughs> right. And then in reality, it's like, no, dude, I grew up in South Orange County. I didn't have very many problems at all, being other than being harassed by like the police because I had long hair, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, that was my biggest issue, I think. It was just being harassed by police and being pulled over and asked to be sit on the curb while they check my car over and over and over and over and over again. No yeah. shit. Yeah, just dude. for having long hair. Yeah, literally, dude. Like, I it was it was, it was a weekly occasion from sixteen to eighteen. Wow. I get pulled over on a regular basis. Then I became friends with one of the. Um, her name is Officer Robinson, and she was just a really nice uh, cop. And you know, she was black, and she put out the word that dude, this kid's all right. You know, like he doesn't drink, doesn't like do stop, stop harassing, stop harassing him. You know. And I asked her, like, why, why do they keep, you know, why do they keep, uh, they keep pulling me over, over and over again? Like, I don't do drugs, I don't do this and that. And she's like, because the way you look, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, she put it out there. And all of a sudden, I, at once I became cool with her, because my, my street had a lot of problems where I grew up. Like, we were like, you know, we were considered the ghetto of Orange County, you know, South Orange County, at least. Yeah. And, uh, there was always. What, what city? Was this San Clemente? El Toro. It was El Toro. Oh, El Toro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard stories about El Toro. Yeah, we were like the one <laughs> drive-by that actually so, someone died, you know what I mean? And uh, that we were known for that. And it happened uh, literally down the street from my house. Uh, I would say about 10 or 12 houses up, you know, some new kid that wow. moved from, from L.A. Um, my, uh, he, they end up shooting him in, well, you know, from the outside into, into the house and killed him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so that was the... Uh, we were notorious for that, but we have a lot of issues. Like, I used to throw keggers at my house. That was like my my income for the house, <laughs> for high school. No way, dude. My symbols, you know, to buy pay for gas to, to go practice up in L.A. with the uh, with the uh, you know the guys from Cold Chamber. You were an entrepreneur early on, man. Yeah, really, I really was, man. I was a paper boy from like ten to twelve, <laughs> twelve thirteen, and then I you know got a job and did everything I could just to make money to, to buy more symbols. So I would constantly break them from hitting them so hard. Yeah, yeah, dude. Symbols are so expensive. So expensive. <laughs> yeah, dude. The uh, the things that stood out was like the eight hundred eight hit was uh, like one of the biggest things, and the word the words in in uh in, in the corn song faggot, dude. Faggot. Yeah, yeah. I could not believe what I was hearing, dude, and like, and I felt so bad for Jonathan for being harassed and just picked yeah. on for so much, and like. That's what I think I, you know, in my head, like after listening and connecting with them, I felt like, you know, all I wanted to do was protect them. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And well, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I think to be that young, to be that young and like, uh, and to be like, have the balls to put your vulnerability on the line. Yeah. Like that, that, that's kind of like, yeah, like I, I didn't have that. I didn't have those balls to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like as an artist, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be more of the like anthrax pontificating type, you know, where, and maybe I still am, but like, you know, like to have the balls to just put all that on the line. I mean, I was actually looking at a video today where they were playing in Huntington beach um, in like 93 before they were signed. And he's got dude, like these short, like tight, like very effeminate, like shorts basically. Uh-huh. And like these stockings that almost look like, it almost looks like a lingerie outfit Oh wow! that he's wearing and like no shirt. And he was like clean shaven. Like at first I was like, is that, uh, is that even him? <laughs> and like, 
I mean, he just looked, he kind of looked like a baby. Like he was saying, I'm just a pretty boy, yeah. you know, that, and it's like, he was, he was a pretty boy and like, but like not, I mean, he had long hair and all, I think he probably, are, I can't remember if he had the dreads yet or not, but, um, I, I just remember thinking like, dude, this guy had huge balls, dude. Like, cause I don't even, they probably weren't very old and like, especially being in Huntington, I was thinking like he's in Huntington beach uh young dude young skinny like really skinny dude he was like i mean you you saw them back then but like he was wiry skinny yeah I remember that. and he's like wearing basically lingerie more or less and talking about you know being a faggot you know or yeah. being called a faggot Almost. in huntington beach and i'm like dude the balls <laughs> on this guy dude yeah unbelievable dude i remember the, at the seaport museum that night man like we were meeting with Derek jarvie and um it was funny because, like, you know, I was already a fan of corn, and um, I, you know, I was talking to Jonathan Davis. He was trying to get a beer, and he was like, "Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me," over and over again. He couldn't get the bartender's attention. And my, yeah. you know, my story with Jonathan is like, I literally had, to, I yelled, I like yelled, like pretty much screamed at the bartender, "Hey, <laughs> this guy, this guy needs two drinks now." You know, he's about to go on stage, and they're like, Aah. and he was sitting there. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, uh, pardon me, excuse me. You know, like over and over again to the bartender to get their yeah because he needs some beers, and um, like he, he, you know, part of being connected to that to to the band, like listening to him, you're like again, it was you know he was so frail, and yeah. but he was when he went on stage, he turned into this monster, dude, and then yeah. he went back into he reverted back into his, you know, into that person that that very vulnerable person where he started crying on stage and. It was really a trip to hear, to even see a man cry, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I grew up where, like, you know, my dad was a Marine, dude. I didn't see anybody cry at all. We were the only crybabies, you know, we were getting busted, you know? And yeah. uh, to see a man up there, you know, seem like a giant and then turn into this really frail, you know. You and he know. would cry on stage, too? Yeah, dude. He would cry every show. Every, cro- wow. every show. He'd start crying, dude. And I'm like... You know, eventually got it got you know, it was like one of those things that like the first few five, ten times you saw it, you're like, dude. And then all of a sudden you're like, Is he is he faking it? <laughs> you start questioning <laughs> it, dude, because it's like, how do you make yourself cry? Ball, dude, like ball, tears like just rolling down your face every time, you know? Yeah. You know, like uh it was it was a trip to see that. And to, to, he was like part monster, part, you know crying little kid on stage yeah it makes sense though there i feel like it's two sides of the same coin you know yeah like he that rage you know from being like that was his way to be be able to express the pain you know yeah he did a good job Um, dude i mean i connected dude and everyone i knew listened to it could, could connect to it if you're a musician it felt like you you know we have this side of us that uh that's tapped into our emotions in one way or another, I feel. Yeah. And um, I think anyone who was a musician at the time, who was really a musician, like who, who had this passion for music, you saw that and you're like, you could connect to it, you know? And so the cool thing about rock and metal is that when you, when you see it live, you feel what they're doing. It's yeah. It's riffs. It's not just drumming. It's it's like if, if how many times have you seen a band where they're just playing and you're just like, oh, okay. You know, right, right. There's these people, you know, you go to shows and there's bands that just like you, like you feel what they're doing, and they just took it to another level where you just felt everything that was going on. 
from the drumming right. to to the breakdowns to the uh, just the screaming he did, you know, that was felt so real. So and now when he's when he when he screams now it doesn't feel the same, you know, it doesn't yeah. feel like it's authentic like it used to be. I, right. But I just don't feel like it is, and it's just like I I can't, I can't connect anymore like I used to, and I love them. But I don't, I don't really know how it could be. I mean, I'm sure there's moments where it is, you know. Uh huh. But man, when you're just out on the road doing the reps, you know, yeah. you know, years and years in, it's like I don't know how it necessarily could be. And you know, he's you know, he's a father, right? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, he is. He's got kids. It's just probably like such a he's probably in such a different place, you know. But uh, uh, actually, speaking of the, uh, you know, just the pain and the bullying and all that. Like, did you, you know, at the very end of the record, there's like the the little Easter egg at the end, and it's like. I'm I'm guessing that's his dad because it's on the song "Daddy." Yeah, no, it's actually a recording they found in like at, a, at an abandoned house or something of that nature. It's not really him. It's a, oh okay. Found this recording of this verbal abuse. <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. I yeah. was like, dude, if that's his dad, no wonder he's a wreck, man. Yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> that guy sucks. Dude. Yeah, people would say that, dude. Look at the other guy. Your father. He's like, no, that's not my family. Oh <laughs> shit. Okay. It's so intense. They found. I guess they found this recording at some, you know, this house. Like either it was abandoned or it was like, you know, they were moving. They were selling it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, they found this recording and it was so abusive. They thought, oh, how perfect would this be at the end of this? You know? Oh jeez. Yeah, his poor dad though, because like, okay, so there's that where I automatically thought that was his dad, and then I just, I also just read that, you know, the song about him being like sexually molested is not his. It's not his dad who did it, and I guess a lot of people thought that because yeah. the song's called Daddy. Yeah, imagine. Yeah, so his poor dad. <laughs> his poor like, dad, damn. dude. I didn't bless my kid. I swear, you know. Yeah. Imagine going yeah, to, you know, oh, you, you can't be telling people, oh, my, I'm proud of my son. His name is Jonathan Davis in a band called Corn. Like, yeah. oh, you're the daddy did it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Totally. What a story to tell people, man. Like, no, it really wasn't me, you know? Yeah, but I guess it was um like a neighbor, like a babysitter or something. Oh, really? That's what I read. Yeah. I guess he didn't really want, like, they had even agreed, like him and his father, not to ever, like, say the person's name. Oh, wow. But, but that, um, but he eventually, like, like many years later, said it was like a, like a his neighbor who babysat. But it didn't. Honestly, it did not. I was I read it like three times, and it didn't say if it was a man or a, a woman. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, so I don't know. You know, but when you call the, out, you know, the mystery people, lives on. Yeah, the, you know, when people call out and they're in pain, they call out their mom or dad. You know, even with the yeah. stuff that's going on right now. You know, yeah, with George. Yeah. George Floyd, you know, he's caught out to his dead mother, you know. He's yeah. a grown man almost, you know. And uh so it's I you know, I can I, I can understand it. You know, but to call it daddy is it's just like, wait, what? That that song is so painful to listen to. Right. Yeah, it is, man. It really is. I can I you know, I was listening to it, you know, you know, to, to just to catch up so we could talk about it with on yeah. this podcast and I was like I was still like I was I find myself Back, you know, listening again on a tape, <laughs> you know, instead of being on iTunes. And uh, yeah. I was tripping out going, dude, I can't believe this has been, this, this, this moment was captured in time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Ross did such an amazing job capturing it. 
and that you know even like the, like the first Slipknot record, I mean, that that thing yeah. crazy as hell too. Like, yeah, just known like my friend, one of my actually one of my best friends, um, his name is Mike Balboa. He actually engineered like the last three Chiva records that we did. Okay, I think I remember that name. Yeah, he actually is. He works with Ross. Okay. And, um, you know, and I thought, oh man, you know, like, dude, you know, Mike working with Ross is gonna be even way more badass because Ross can capture the sound, uh, capture the performance, and Mike will get the sounds. Yeah, and I haven't heard very much different. No, the change hasn't been drastic. And uh, huh. you know, I know Mike really well, and he's such a perfectionist. And I wonder how. I always wonder, you know. Uh, how he interprets everything that Ross does, you know, because he knows Ross knows his stuff, but Ross has a sound and it's, I think, you know, I feel like it's more, um, it's kind of like he's, that that's his staple. You know what I mean? He wants to be known for that. And that's, he wants people to know it. When you hear a Ross record, it sounds like Ross. Huh? Yeah. That's really interesting. Is it, so he works with him currently? Yeah. He's one of his engineers. So. Is it, uh, I, I saw this YouTube video of Ross Robinson, um, and it looked, is that at his house, like the studio? It was. It's at, at a house. Yeah, it's, it used to be at the, the, in Venice, right on the boardwalk, dude. Like, we okay. went, I went over there. Yeah, Venice, and, uh, yeah. Um, Tech Nine did a record with, like, um, with Wes Borland playing guitar from Olympus. Oh, okay, yeah. And I yeah. think Serge sings on one of the songs, but we, uh, we did what you call, I don't know manual percussion <laughs> at at Ross's house up in Venice. And then, oh no way! Yeah, we were like stomping on the ground on the upstairs. Oh, that's cool. Floor and clapping, you know, and sm- you know, and we did that for about two hours straight. You know, and my hands were like literally like almost fifty percent bigger from from the uh, the blood blood flow and, and the pain of yeah over and over and over again. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, my foot stomping and um. And uh, clapping is on the Tech Nine record, <laughs> so <laughs> to the trip. But yeah, Ross is a really cool guy, dude. He's really a, he's so passionate, and it's so gnarly to see somebody who's been doing it for so long and still yeah. passionate about what he does. I met him one time at a show. Uh, I, I probably the more correct way to say it is I probably stalked him a little bit, but he was <laughs> it, it was a I think God who, who it might have been a Machine Head show. Is that the whiskey? Oh, okay. And I, I saw him and I knew what he looked like. And so I went up to him like after the show. And um, I just remember he like, yeah, he was like really cool, really humble. Um, But he, and he was like going off about, um, he was working with, oh God, um, at the drive-in. And he oh, would, he was man. talking about how it, they had just broken up. And cause he did the first uh, Mars Volta record, right? Or the first two, I think. Really? I, or wait, was that Rick Rubin? No, that was Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick Rubin, Sorry. yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. But the so he did, but he did the at the drive-in record that was really big, and uh, he was he was saying he was talking about how they, um, you know, had broken up because, and he was just like, yeah, man, they're so punk rock. They're like, they, you know, at the height of their success, they just like split up because they're just like weren't into it anymore. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, but he's just like, I'm nobody, and he's just like, he took the time to like, you know, he was all pumped up and wanted to tell me this <laughs> that's rad you know, yeah he's like i said we talk he tells stories dude and he's so he's so um what's the right word detailed in his stories dude yeah and uh you could tell like just hanging out with him at the studio was at his house it was so rad for a while you know like because uh, i'm a fan of norma Jean, and he did yeah. two records with them 
and um okay he just got they just got done i like, remember a, that year or two before i went to the to the house and and got to see that you know in play and it was such a cool experience um to be there and just to know that the you know the drum room was where they you know they did it and overall it's just like you know it's just a cool experience and then you know to, um i don't know if you've heard of, you know the used right yeah yeah so my my friend mike and ross did the uh the last not the last second to last record the one record they did without john john feldman or feldy whatever his name it goes by feldy i guess but uh you could tell it's a ross record yeah it, yeah it's has the sound that in in you know they've had such a polished sound for so long and then they go to ross and it's a completely different game yeah he did he do a i think he recently did a suicide silence album right he did dude he did that <laughs> the record that he, he put his stamp on that one oh that almost yeah. broke him up oh yeah dude literally oh wow yeah because well, it was like totally different right like yeah totally left, left turn. they're you know my son being a um like a hardcore suicide silence fan was Mm -hmm. not stoked on it at all like he was i think a lot of their fan base wasn't right yeah they their 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 record sales dropped drastically yeah like literally and then like they just came back with a new record this you know just a few months back i think a little bit before the um, quarantine started and um you know a lot of people are happy with their new record you know yeah but yeah i i did i did the the musing show um last year yeah last year and um the guitar player the, the what show amusing oh oh okay yeah 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 i do that show every year so year banger at the show oh right 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 and the guitar player the suicide silence wasn't in the band anymore um because of the the conflict that they had over that record that they no way before. yeah well they, they had they had problems with them anyways you know he's seems to be like the uh I think he even said he's more like the problem child of the band, but he's yeah. a significant part of it, you know, the writing, you know, that, and um, he's been there since day one. And we, well, I do have to say, like, I feel like every time we write and record something, the band almost breaks up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like writing and recording, talk about, you know, being emotional and all that stuff, man. Yeah. It's like egos are just like, and, and it's not like something like, it's not egos in the sense that people think like, Oh, these big egos and like, but it's, it's just that you, you're attached emotionally to an idea or to whatever. And, yeah. and it just, it becomes like, you know, a fighting thing because, you know, it's like, you're not going to get your little part if like three out of four people are what don't like it or something, you know what I'm saying? So just, my life, dude, that's part of the reason why I left Chiva. I couldn't deal with it anymore, man. Like right? I was such, you know, a huge part of the writing process for so many years. And then I, you know, it was my outlet, dude, like literally it was either I was writing music, the guitar, you know, doing all, whatever I needed to do. And what I would, my, I played my part for so long. And then slowly I felt like the, uh, it was drifting away and I wasn't, none, none of my ideas were sticking. And I just was like, dude, what the, you know? <laughs> and I got to the point where I was like, everything I write gets denied. Literally everything uh, I'm writing. And I, you know, like music wise and you know, vocally I could do whatever I want. I didn't, but that's not, my passion wasn't in the vocals. It was it, it was in what I was writing musically. You know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was able to express it and connect with it. And so when other people were writing everything, I was like, um, I just felt like I had I was forcing, like the, you know, I wasn't like my my DNA wasn't imprinted on it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. yeah, I was not able to really connect to it. And I kept 
warning him saying hey dude this is you know i need it's not it's not a power trip it's me just feeling like i'm i'm being i'm the band is taking me out of the equation and they're like right. oh, you're, you're the singer you know you you're you're coming up with your own melodies but it just didn't feel real to me anymore it didn't feel authentic so were were you playing uh were you coming up with guitar parts yeah okay yeah, yeah. forever like i mean like that's what you know that's what it, it was like andy and i would write and then it became uh john and i would write you know and yeah. once in a while james jimmy would come up with a, a riff of some sort and he had a cool you know, drum part to it but yeah. uh it got to the point man where i just was like we we're you know i just didn't feel anything that was being written i'm like i would literally because i was a mailman at the time dude so i would literally out be out there eight to ten hours a day record a song onto the four track bump it onto a cd and play that's the recording of practice on the, the songwriting on the song we were writing eight to 10 hours a day, sometimes a week or two straight. And I couldn't come up with anything that I, I loved. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, I felt just so disconnected and I was like, dude, this is not cool. You know? And it got to the point where like, I, 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 I threatened them saying, Hey dude, if I, this doesn't change then I'm not, I have, I have no business being here. And that yeah. was pretty much the demise of, you know, that's when I departed. And then oh, that's crazy. Again, with this thing kills, I was the only songwriter. And I wrote, you know, I was then I about ninety percent of everything, and it, it was it wasn't the control thing. It's just I got to express everything I wanted to write, you know. Yeah. And Bongo, my uh, guitar player, he was also the guitar player of Chiva in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, me and him worked really, 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 really well together. Like I would write something, he remembered it, and I could, I could, he'd play it, and I could feed out and write off of it. You know what I mean? And we'd riff, riff, you know riffing over and over again and he just has a a really good memory for for guitarists and literally yeah. we would pump we pumped out i mean the short time the band was together we probably wrote like close to 40 50 songs wow and the last five years of chiva we probably wrote 10 yeah you know and, wow um yeah, dude, it's it's such people don't realize how difficult it is, and to be able to sit there and go, we were together for you know, twelve, fifteen years before you know I I left the band it was for me it was it was it was heartbreaking but at the same time I needed it you know because I just felt like yeah I needed an outlet where I could actually write songs where I could express myself and as dumb as it sounds now but it uh I had to let it out and now I now I live in a time where I don't get to let it out I let out here my you know just playing guitar. In my room and then uh you know writing songs by myself but not ever not not ever planning to perform them again you know yeah but, uh, I, I give you props for for keeping it going dude you know you guys have gotten so much better so much better you know you guys were good but you guys it's like one of, seeing the new songs come out it's it's like i'm proud of you guys man like I, thanks you know, man every song that you guys put out it's like dude that's badass you know <laughs> thanks man i appreciate it you know, and I just remember it was always you and your brother going to these shows, you know, like, hey, <laughs> it's the twin, yeah. you know, the Project <laughs> One twins, you know. Totally. Uh, abruptly um, switching topics here, but um, Clown, the song Clown. Yeah. You know, there's like the, it, there's like a crowd in the background, like, you know, when they're just talking and bullshitting and he's like, what does he say? Like, uh, just do it, man. Do yeah, it or whatever. Do it piece of shit <laughs> yeah and uh shut up oh, no, he's more like fuck you fuck yeah 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 he's fuck you yeah. fuck you yeah <laughs> that's uh 
that's so uh, great that's head dude that's um is it i was wondering who that was man it's getting yeah they were clowning him dude um yeah because he kept playing the song wrong you know or like that the, 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 not he's starting the song wrong yeah you know and then not knowing for sure that was uh yeah that's just probably the people in the studio will do that you know when they were capturing it you know there's probably the girlfriends there you know okay okay label that's people. what i was wondering yeah but the way ross records too dude is everyone's in the same room you know, ah, everyone's yeah, in the yeah, yeah. room and everyone's laughing at him. You know what I mean? And uh, he liked that. Well, he likes that live vibe. And he captures it really well. Well, so check this out. So I, I, um, I kind of did. I, I, I don't even know. I, I want to say a deep dive, but I just was like linking from the Wikipedia thing, and I, I somehow stumbled on this article about um, uh, what's the ranch called, man? Where they recorded Indigo? Yeah, Indigo Ranch, and so. And in the article, it was a really cool article talking about the whole, you know, Ross Robinson corn connection, then, you know, all the new metal bands that came after that. But anyway, um, there was this uh, video, YouTube video on the article, and uh, and it was corn recording uh, Life is Peachy in 96. And mm-hmm. so, and it was crazy. Like, so they're driving up, and there's like, it's basically like a freaking party, man. There's like probably, like, they're recording, and it, there's probably like, 50 people there oh man and it, like literally like out in the the yard area in the front like um there it's basically like a barbecue like a party just going on and then like you at some point they go inside and they're like recording and the yeah. whole band's like they're just like kind of waltzing in and out and it was so i i was like shocked i was like I mean, pre- people probably think that's what it's all about, but like I've never seen or heard of anything like that. <laughs> there was like fifty people there, man. Yeah, it was like a show. Yeah, I can't even imagine how that would have been because it's you're so hyper focused on the recording process. And, yeah, uh, I mean, when we we know when we recorded in real life, there was probably we had probably like five five to ten people there, you know, because the label had people there that we had like a you know like a a vocal producer, you know what I mean? Um, okay, wow. He, yeah, he produced my vocals. Like he, just, we went through like he had me go through every line over and over and over and over and over, and making sure it's over. And then we we create harmonies on the spot, you know, and we work together. And yeah, that guy, his wife was hanging around. His, you know, his in and then we had like it was just you know we had our friends. Some of our friends showed up that drove out to Vegas to see us record. And I think the only we, when we tracked drums in hollywood at grandmaster studios where like the uh the record before the tool record before undertow oh um yeah what the hell is that called opiate yeah opiate so opiate was recorded at grandmaster at least the drums were <clears throat> and uh and so we had we probably had only like five people with us but you know i i just felt like when I when I did vocals, I didn't want anyone there because I was in Paris, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just shy, you know, insecure. Oh yeah. Going, dude, you know, like I, I never performed well when there's people looking at me, like uh, in re- the recording session. You know what I mean? Because well, j- just real quick to sorry to cut you off, but um, I mean, I just found this out recently too that like Chris Cornell, when he was recording Soundgarden stuff, he'd actually I can't remember the producer's name, but on uh, Super Unknown he would go go in the control room and just they'd like leave him alone by himself and he would just you know basically track himself really for hours yeah because he just didn't want anyone in the room and he just like he just knock it out it would take forever i guess but he would just knock it out 
and then and like and then and like i guess one time i i don't know if it was the same song but like one time like he spent like all day in there and then the next day he came back and he just trashed the whole thing i'm starting over like he didn't like it no way <laughs> yeah it's so badass but i mean i totally get that though yeah me too man i uh i've only worked well with only one producer um the one engineer that's mike mike uh like he's able to like you know like mike balboa yeah mike balboa. he's the only person i've ever like felt 100 percent comfortable I mean, that because we've been friends since you know He's was in seventh grade, um, yeah. but literally he's the only person that like I trusted, you know. And he he told me when I was doing crappy, and he told me with when I did it, when I was doing good, you know what I mean. But he also told me that yeah. he's not putting his name on our projects, <laughs> so he's the only one I could tell. Yeah, he could, would be honest with the, with me a hundred percent, you know. Yeah, and um, he uh, yeah he's literally everything that guy has he deserves he's one of those people that deserves deserves everything he has you know what i mean he's yeah so hard at his craft and he's such a perfectionist and such a cool guy like uh you know i that's uh that that vocal the vocals is just uh, i'm always been a, you know i've always been a drummer at art and that's what i've always wanted to do but singing was i got put into it because no one else would do it mm. and uh and every singer that would come around was a more, you know, they were they either weren't very good or they were a flake, you know. And no one just being, a, you know, if you don't have an instrument, it seems like it would be they would be less passionate about it, you know. Right. And uh, completely unreliable, like most musicians are. Um, until you- that's so funny. I just I just had another guy on who was who said the same thing. He said like most singers, if they're not, if they just sing, they're really not like real musicians. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost true. It feels like, but and I, it's one thing, you know, if you're, just, if you're I mean, like not in the band, but if like you know, if like they don't play anything else outside of even their band, you know what I mean? Yeah, that yeah. seems to ring true because no joke, people who just stopped they could come in and sing. We we went, like Goathead went through tons of singers. Like Chiva, we we tried singers out all the time, and I was like, dude, I did because I didn't want to sing. I just wanted to play guitar, or you know, and I, Andy was an amazing drummer, and I was like, I'm. I'm okay with not playing drums anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I wanted to find someone who had a sick voice, you know? And I was just like, you know, cause I loved playing guitar. I love the right. I love writing more than anything. You know, like that's my thing is I love creating. And, uh, Andy was just such a phenomenal drummer. Like he's yeah, literally like, he was my perfect drummer for so long. Oh yeah. And, man. uh, just the way he plays, the way he hits. Still is. Yeah. He's ridiculous. A great drummer. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, he's passionate about what he does. He's always been, you know what I mean? And he's one of the most creative people I know. He ended up writing so much of the Chiva stuff. Um, so what, okay. I got a, I got a question. What, like, this is going to be hard retrospectively, but cause we kind of all know what they did, but if you are in corn, like what one or two songs from this album would be in the set list every night. The probably the, the songs they play, the uh, blind, <laughs> like that song, like you have to song that that think of a song that you've connected the same way you've connected with that, when listening to that song. Right? Any other song in the world, like in your history, have you connected to a song like that? You know what I mean? There's a couple yeah. maybe, but that for that band, dude, that's that's the epitome of them. You know what I mean? That's it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. They captured a moment. And dude, have you ever heard the original version of Blind? 
I was just thinking that I just heard it today, <laughs> dude. It's on that on that live video at that, and I think it was that whatever five five nine oh two, you know that yeah that club in yeah. Huntington. It's so different, dude. You, you, you yeah, it's so different. You're like, what the hell? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, it's all proggy, man. It yeah. takes forever to get to the vocal. <laughs> totally, all... and I was like, oh man, but like Ross trimmed it up. You know, like, he, yeah, and he made that song. He helped make that song perfect. Mm, and, uh, no doubt. Dude, it, it, it's it's just one of those things, man. Like, and to see it live, too, dude, it's just it it it, it ignites you in a way that you like, I, I don't. There's nothing I've heard that ignites me that 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 sparks me like that. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. that creates that spark immediately like that song does live, especially like even to this day, I saw them play. At the House of Blues, uh, I would say like one to two years back, maybe. Oh yeah, and I think I saw you there. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and uh, dude, I was they played. I couldn't still couldn't believe it. I was like, that song still hits so hard, dude. Yeah, and you know, imagine how sick of that song they are. Do they play, have to play the song every single time they play? I remember, like I've seen them. Oh, God, I mean, I would say recently, like in the last five years i've probably seen them probably about four times mm-hmm. and um and like but i remember seeing them on the follow the leader tour yeah at the honda center with um rob zombie oh okay i, I went to that show yeah and uh i just remember because like that's when they were like obviously you know they were popping off at radio but you know they were young like everybody like their audience was young and it like I remember they opened with that, and it just the place fucking erupted. It was like madness, and now that, that's an arena, you know, that's like a basketball arena, you know, a hockey arena. You know, it's not personal at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? They can still do that. They can still capture and create that that you know the emotion in that crowd. To me, yeah. like, I remember like just seeing that for the first time was like witnessing, you know greatness that you can't I, i've never seen since you know and and so, and sorry the first time was like like a small club right yeah it literally doing yeah. uh, that had no name dude it was just uh the flyers that they put post, posted were of the dress oh wow yeah that's crazy man and uh but that was that was after this album came out right it was released but they had only like you know one or two months of airplay on um, KC and then KC went away and we had nothing. Yeah. This was just word of mouth. Yeah. I even read that too. Like, I think, I don't know if it was on Wikipedia, but it was just saying that um, like, yeah, it was, it kind of, kind of went on deaf ears for a while. Yeah. Like it wasn't really, they were getting a lot of misses, you know? Yeah. It was a trip dude. Like the, um, but literally it was like, they they were playing, locally for the most part like every other weekend every weekend somewhere within you know a 45 mile radius mm-hmm. like you could see them any 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 weekend for the most part because they weren't really That's touring crazy. with anybody or anything they, you know when it first came out um yeah and you could see them everywhere like literally you saw them so many different places dude like i would say the first two records i probably saw them 30 times oh my god yeah it was it was cool because it was like the thing to do on the weekend if, if we weren't going to play or we didn't have a party to play at or a club to play at, then we'd go watch corn. <laughs> Damn, that's nuts, man. Yeah. Cause like a lot of bands now, I don't think they would do that. Like if you're signed, you know, I don't think they play their area like you know what I mean? Uh-huh. They'd probably like chill out like and just 
like I, I know some local bands that like, um, or, or not, not personally know, but like that are signed and it's like, they don't play like if they're from LA or orange County, they barely ever play there. And you're just like, man, why don't you just play? Like you live here. But I think it's like this whole thing where like, it's a marketing thing. You don't want to overplay and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I agree with that too. Um, but yeah, that I, I was surprised that they, we were talking about a while back, me and my buddy were like, dude, isn't that weird how like corn play like orange County, LA, San Diego, you know, Inland Empire over like you can literally like you can say, Oh, where are they playing this weekend? You know what I mean? And yeah, a record out. And they were on you know, they, they were on the radio briefly, you know what I mean? And it was such yeah. an amazing record. And I saw their their crowd explode, dude. It was really cool to see that on even a local level. Yeah. You know? And well, I even like I looked, I was looking at their tour dates earlier, and it was interesting because it was it was like real spotty, and then they'd have like they have I think I was looking at 94 95 and like 94 wasn't much well i think the record came out late late 94 and then yeah yeah, 95 was like yeah like what you're saying real spotty you know dates and then like and then a big like six-week tour with maybe that that was probably like the biohazard and uh uh what was the other band but anyway yeah i ever seen it was probably those ones you know with orange nine millimeter and sick of it all (laughs) oh wow yeah they they played like these just you know like they played you know it's really weird dude like like the tour came around two or three times it was such a weird thing dude and oh uh, wow yeah was, that's crazy yeah like the same it was pretty much the same bill like same yeah you know oh they, but this they're playing here this small place right here no you know probably because we probably went to go see them there and then two nights later somewhere else and another two nights later somewhere else but you know it was such a unique it, it, you know unique time dude like where you just wanted to see to experience it again and yeah i don't i've never even to this day like really there's no i haven't been like i guess infatuated with the band at that level you know um yeah and it's a it's a trip that, that you know the bands aren't that we you know i haven't been able to experience that since so like, it, it really captured a special time in my life you know and yeah man i feel like it was so cool to be a part of it too you know yeah yeah you really were too that's that's crazy you were a lot closer to that than i was i think i was a little behind that and and like i said we were i mean we did play with like the the corn wannabe bands but like <laughs> we were kind of more a little more old school you know yeah i remember that i remember like fully yeah. project one um i remember when uh jimmy joined you guys and it was like you guys were different it was not nothing like you was going around you know what i mean it was cool to see that yeah doing your own thing and it was you know it was a little bit of a different variation of you know of what we grew up listening to but it was cool to see it because you're like whoa it's not corn it's not you know it's not incubus i i remember there was a handful of incubus bands back then dude and uh yeah plants popping off and you know we played with uh incubus at the uh at the showcase theater oh wow that's crazy man yeah, and, uh, and it, oh, that's nuts! Yeah. That's nuts! It was a great show, dude. It was really like it was it was real fun, and we got to talk to them. And they actually graduated the same year we did. <laughs> oh wow, that's <laughs> nuts, dude! Ninety five, and they were too. Oh man! So when we were talking, that's so cool. The original bass player Dirk, um, he invited us to to go out and play the uh, San Diego show as well, and that was cool because like, dude, this badass band likes us. You know, we were so stoked. And oh man, where'd you guys play? Um, so I don't remember that there was a venue, like, uh, it was a special show in San Diego, but I think it was like a industry show. 
and it was like the displaced and they had like um it was a makeshift uh, stage and oh, okay. they played dude and it was like they played even better than they did the the two nights before and I was oh yeah yeah blown away like how cool it was and uh, the guitar playing was like the guitar players like their sound was so like it was way too heavy <laughs> for what the music they were playing you know? <laughs> it was so cool to hear like dude like the band was all funky you know and yeah and the guitar when, when when the you know the guitar the heavy guitars kicked in, it was it was it was like what the hell where did that come from you know, and uh, it was really cool a really cool time and I was so hoping like, uh, oh shoot and then um I was hoping that you know that that Immortal would have taken off and and I don't know if if uh, Incubus had any part to do it with that um, back in the day, but. Uh, we were we were catching traction with them and it was it was going well and i can't believe that's crazy you know but we've blown it a handful of times (laughs) you know (laughs) there's one thing or another you know we picked the wrong deal and and, uh yeah we had we had a couple offers back in the day and you know just didn't work out um what can up-and-coming bands learn from corn dude um I would say to uh I would say by the I guess corn I would say trust your influences, man. Mm. I think that you 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 know being influenced by anybody and interpreting your influence in, in, in ways like they did. I mean they had like the, they really had a, a real hip hop element, you know, and um yeah. they had the the helmet guitars, you know, they had uh Jonathan Davis, like the cure, you know, like, right, right. Those influences, you know, they, they yeah. I think if you just trust your influences and, and you, and you use it as inspiration, not, not copying, but um, not imitation, but influencing it, being influenced by. Yeah, it. I think that younger bands, if they actually trusted what they what they love, in the bands that they grew up liking or are passionate about, I think if they trust that that love that uh it'll it'll turn into something that they they can actually live with and enjoy the creation the creating process of it yeah because uh absolutely i remember like i was i didn't trust my um my influences you know what i mean i wasn't bands like you know uh i love the creativity like jane's addiction i thought it was so unique and so different and i was like you know what to like and I didn't trust it, you know. I, I was, I was like afraid. I was like, oh, I want to be like, you know, Metallica, or I want to be like Megadeth, you know. And I want to be like, um, I want to be like Anthrax, you know, and the bands like that, dude. And I just was like, I didn't trust what I loved, you know what I mean? I, I had, I had hmm. the whole other side of the music spectrum that, I like, you know, I grew up listening. Oh, to like, that's really interesting, man. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I know I, I'm relating to what you're saying uh, uh, on some bands that I've never, like I, I really, really connect with that. I've never really, I get, I guess I've, I kind of, there are pieces that I'm able to express that side of my influence through in, in our band, but there's like, sometimes I want to like, there's always like a part of me that wants to like do a, a side band where I could go down that road a little bit more, you know? Yeah. That's exactly what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? And so I feel you there, man. I, I was like, you know, I grew up listening to like the Misfits, um, 
like mm. you know mm-hmm. Ramones. Uh, those are like you know bands I loved. You know, like uh, that's I, crazy. I, I loved. I like literally like Hector and I stumbled on Slayer uh, because we were at Tower Records and we saw this um, cassette cover that looked scary. <laughs> yeah, it was haunting the chapel. You know. Oh wow. And, yeah, and we bought it because it looked scary. We went we went halves on it, dude, because it was a scary looking record. We thought, dude, this oh, is that's so, so great. <laughs> but we ended up falling in love with you know the Slayer. But we knew that you know, like it was one of those things we couldn't be like them. You know what I mean? Like we just felt like you know we didn't trust. Like hey, if we just use that influence, we like we we were like everything we loved, we had to stay away from it. You know what I mean? Mm, so that, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it was one of those things. It's like instead of embracing it and saying, Hey dude, like we, you know, we, we can incorporate this. Yeah. Like we, throw it we, all we, in the blender. And- we, we ran as far away as possible from it, you know, so that we wouldn't, you know, huh. it, it really, if that was, that's the one that was, that would be one of the things I would, the advice I'd give to, to the younger generation is that dude, like, like trust that influence, trust the love that you have for that band. You know what I mean? Because it's going to come out in the music. And if you're doing everything you can to avoid it, it's not gonna. It's it's gonna. It's not gonna be genuine. You yeah. Know what I mean? And that, I fell in that trap so many times because I. I mean, I wrote stuff that was like, I had like guitar work that that Dave Navarro could write. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, I loved you know I loved the guitar work and, and I loved the music in general, dude. Like James Dixon was all, one of my top favorite bands of all time. Huh. And, but it was like the softer side of me. It was that emotional side of me. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't a fan of like The Cure. I wasn't a fan of Morrissey. I wasn't a fan of you know, singing like James Dixon was yeah. only one of the bands I could tolerate that had singing, you know what I mean? And his voice was so different that I didn't yeah, at singing. I just thought he was more of a performer and he was just expressing himself in a way that no one else could. But the music yeah. was just so like, like when they get melodic and they get like artsy, like I wanted to incorporate that in Sepultura. <laughs> you oh, know yeah. I mean? And I was like, if I could do that, that'd be so rad. But I wouldn't even do it because I was like, I don't want to be just, I can't be like Jason Dixon. I can't be like Simple Tour. I can't be like this. You know what I mean? So I found myself smacking the walls left and right, you know? And yeah. I didn't trust it because I was so afraid of being labeled like, oh, that kind of sounds like this, you know? Mm. And if I guess if you trust, you know, like, you know, if you trust what you love, dude, I think it's going to, the kids nowadays would be able to. I don't think they're as afraid of it as now uh, as we probably I was, or maybe it was my, my, my fear was a little irrational, but it definitely hindered my progression. Yeah. That's good, man. I like that. You know? So I, and that, that was like, I guess that would be, yeah. I mean, that, that would be the thing I kind of took away. Just even watching like the video I was talking about with corn playing, you know, in Huntington beach in 93 and then just, um, listening to the record, you know, multiple times and, um, is yeah like you're right it's it's the balls that they had yeah. you know and that jonathan davis had and i mean the whole band to just kind of really step out in a lot of different ways not not i mean their sound like you're talking about but also in the lyrical content holy shit i mean yeah, it was just so ballsy it was and so different and they're getting they're reaping so the vulnerable rewards. yeah 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 for being on yeah and I, and I think i i bet like they I can't imagine that they ever thought at that time, especially like that. It's not that they didn't, I mean, everybody probably aspires to, you know, you know, get signed and get out on the road and do all that. But I don't think they would have ever thought they would have 
gotten as big as they did, but it's just like, I think it felt so um, true and, and honest in terms of just like wanting to express those feelings and those thoughts, you know? Yeah. And like that, I think that alone was probably the reward for, for them at that time, you know? No, I agree. I understand. Like, like I, I don't know. I don't know what better way to, to be successful. You know what I mean? To establish. Yeah. Yeah. Is to be, to be true to what you want to do and to love. And that's just, uh, that's something that I think they could cherish, you know, and, and really hold to the heart, dude, because that's, uh, it's tough, man. I struggled with it so much because I, you know, I got labeled this, I got labeled that. I'm like, Oh man, it, it would eat me alive. And, uh, yeah. and you know, I, I'm just one, maybe I'm one of those personalities that, that, you know, taking that, that criticism a little different. So I would just try to veer away as further as possible. It's, it's possible. You know, I, didn't want to be labeled anything, so I just, oh, I sound like this. Okay, let me, let me, let me, <laughs> let me take a different direction immediately. You know, if- yeah. I, I my other, I had another buddy like that. Um, this band I played drums in, and he was the same way. Um, he just oh, it would kill him to hear like to get compared to anybody. And honestly, that's just what people do when they hear, they hear your band. They're they're just gonna. It's like they're relating it to something they've heard. You know and, exactly. Yeah, but I, I that used to crush him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I it, it would bother me to the point where like I just didn't want to, you know, I was like trying to avoid it, but I kept cracking mm-hmm. walls, dude. I'm like, oh damn it, you know, like, and uh, once I accepted it, I, it, my life got a lot easier. But I, oh, I, dude, I, totally. Like, once I, I struggled with it for so many years, dude, and I was like, that's the advice I'd give to the young, the young, guys. just do this. Don't worry about it, you know, write it through. Yeah, and like I said, enjoy the influence, dude, because. uh People are gonna. People are going to compare you no matter what, and they're gonna. Find okay, you. yeah. They're gonna find someone you sound like exactly, or they. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. Especially now with like social media, you know, like um, you know, we have we'll put up songs and you know expose it to new people, and they'll and they'll um immediately. That's the first thing they do, and, and it's totally like understandable. Like they just want to. I'm stoked that they're commenting and they're even like interested to say, Hey, you know, you guys remind me of so-and-so. Yeah. And, um, but we own it so much now that when we're writing, like, you know, inevitably, and I try to explain this, but it's like, it's, you never go into writing something and say like, Ooh, I want to write something like this band. Or or at least I think most, most of the time you don't do that, you know? And most bands don't do that. But what happens is you write a riff or or a part and then you look back and you go, oh, that kind of sounds like blah, 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 you know, and it just kind of like it is what it is. And so but uh, we end up we'll just like the working title of the song will be the band that the riff sounds like. We'll just be like we're owning it, you know, like all the way. That's that was turning it. (laughs) That's so funny you said, dude. The last couple of songs I wrote with Chiva, literally, we called it Kill Switch. (laughs) <laughs> yeah totally and i was yeah, like we would just that's the working title yeah it was so funny because it like yeah like this sounds like a cool kill switching gay song dude like it, it's like you guys are writing the song like as if you're that band you know what I right mean? right and that was part of the right. reason, like i was like i don't want to be kill switching gates dude what are you doing <laughs> you know? right right and it was like it, it, but yeah the working titles were literally the bands that we were uh that it reminded us of 
you know yeah yeah that's funny yeah totally dude yeah i think as long as you you get enough different working titles like with different bands you're all right yeah. <laughs> you know that's nothing like the other band it's just wrong with the song like you just you just don't want to only have all the working titles be kill switch engage then you're in trouble yeah exactly dude <laughs> that was like dude, that's rad yeah. i've had about but no we're not the only ones that did that no for sure oh dude yeah we've been doing that for a while we're just like own it it is like because yeah it used to be a thing when we were we were younger you'd be like oh is that too much like blah 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 should we switch it and it's like it's like no like every riff has been written so it's like exactly and it's like they're not exact anyway it just it reminds you of something but it's always going to remind you of something Mm -hmm. so just move forward and write a great song you know and once the whole song is put together it's not going to sound just like anyone anyway it's just that you know a riff or you know things are going to remind people of, yeah. of things and, and that's, that's the fear okay. i feel i fear that so much dude it literally hindered me like you wouldn't believe so that yeah. really is the, the advice i'd give any that's good man, because it's like dude it if you fear that you're just going to constantly just <laughs> you're not going to get ahead man you're going to be hitting walls like i did you know and uh yeah you're gonna torture yourself yeah it's it is torture because like you you know my son my son's an amazing musician too dude like um oh awesome man yeah he's but he 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 focuses music on hip-hop right now so he's a really oh, nice. dark rapper like you know like underground like dark dark you know, his contents about you know as dark as it gets for the most part without you know getting locked up you know <laughs> but what's his uh what's his uh artist name uh Symistic, s-y-m-s-t yk or stk i think um but he's a he's he goes under semistic and it's like so dark dude but it's like i love that he's he's expressing himself in a in a way that you know he can he can live with you know and yeah music it's you can tell he struggles and it's like uh he's like if you he has a catalog of like like metal you know the guitar work it's so crazy how 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 um talented he is, and I'm just saying that like he just does everything. He programs everything himself. Like you know, drum drum wise, he writes the sickest guitar riffs, dude. I, I would love to be in a wow. with my son, dude, because he's so creative, but he's so hard to work with, <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's S Y M Y S T Y K. It's like sign my stick. Oh, okay, <laughs> Semistic. He's on iTunes and uh, Spotify and all that stuff. And oh, cool, a couple man. couple EPs up there in one full length. But, uh, oh, yeah, wow. Dude, I, I, damn, I wish I was had, you know, a tenth of what he had. Yeah, he's a really talented kid. And I can't wait to see what, what the future holds for him. Yeah, man, that's great. Well, um, tell people where they can, uh, like, can we find uh, Earbanger on the, on, the internet's yeah and all that yeah you go to earbanger.com um e-a-r-b-a-n-g-e-r just exactly how it sounds um you know for your earphones all your earphone needs and uh that's pretty much it dude i mean i do the old republic barrel company as well for all the all my friends who are alcoholics yeah little aging, oh really yeah little aging barrels you know and oh uh, shit yeah the uh ooh, you know they store but they also age they continue the aging process because of the surface ratio contact and they're made of oak so i, I run those two businesses and uh this all republic barrel old republic barrel company okay dot com dot com yeah okay oh rad man yeah 
personalized. Well, Santos, thank you so much, man. This was that was amazing. Yeah, thanks, dude. I, I appreciate it. Man. It, was, it was fun reminiscing about the past. Yeah, yeah, that was great, man. You were like the perfect per- person for for this one. Awesome, dude. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. Think about it, it's a sad bad hit, so mad.